1: What's up, everybody? February 20th edition of the Fightful MMA podcast. It is family day here in the Great White North in Canada, and I've got one of my Canadian family members in the mixed martial arts world, Robin Black, joining us right now to discuss what happened last night in Halifax, also in Canada, Uh, the craziness with refereeing, crazy post-fight speeches, the results, uh, and then anything and everything, because Robin and I, whenever we get together, we don't even know what we're talking about. But uh, Robin, what's going on, my man? Hey, man. Good to see you, brother, on a Monday morning. Yeah, we were supposed to do this at 8.30, or 8 o'clock, were yeah. we? Yeah, until we figured out
2: it was family day, and it was like, because at, at this time, normally I'm I'm just shooting, so we were going to do it earlier, and then we're like, okay, Fight Network's shut today, so let's hang out at an appropriate time, get some eggs and coffee in us first. Who,
1: who makes the call to record that early? Tell me it's not Bobby T. It, it's, uh,
2: it's definitely Bobby T. is involved in that discussion, but uh, I think it's a scheduling thing. Like at fight network, they're running two to three different television networks here. So we'll have like a chunk of the day and that's it. So things have got to happen when they got to happen.
1: What is wrong with that guy? Honestly,
2: (laughs) it's true. I told, so uh, we're going to Vegas next week. Bobby T, uh, producer, your longtime producer and good friend. You, you know this guy's the biggest Motley Crue fan in the world, right?
1: Oh, my God. It's, it's not even funny. It's <laughs> yeah. not funny.
2: So, so on Sunday, we were planning to shoot a couple of shows before we get on the plane and, and head back. So I got a hold of friends of mine in the music business that uh, work with Vince Neal and we're shooting it in Vince Neal's restaurant in Las Vegas. We're shooting a couple of shows there. Bobby's just going to spend the whole time posing for photos with photos of Vince Neal. Okay
1: i will not surprise you he, you know what you made it you maybe not have one of those uh, those mikey defibrillators uh, with, with bobby there because he might just lose his marbles
2: well the guy comes on the phone and he goes hey listen if vince is in town i'll invite him to come down maybe you guys can have him on your show and i say uh, out loud in the phone um, yeah sure if vince is in town we'd love to see him and bobby's face started melting uh, only mark hominick is bigger arguably a bigger uh, motley crew fan than bobby t
1: So imagine back in my UFC Central days, Sportsnet, with Mark Hominick being my co-host, Bobby T, executive producer, and having those two guys, and I'm trying to focus on the show, right? Like, I'm trying to get this going here, and I'm not saying I'm not a Motley Crue fan, because I am. I'm I'm not that crazy, but those two guys, trying to reel those two guys in was absolutely a task like you wouldn't believe, and it's hilarious how they can go. I've seen them 40 times, 20 times. I was like, oh my God. Okay, guys, uh, GSP just fought Johnny Hendricks. Uh, Can we talk about that? or?
2: because you you realize when you're around people that are mega fans of things at first. And I mean, like you, I also like mom crew, but I don't have to sleep with Vince Neil. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, uh, you see reflected in the way that they are, how you obsessive about fighting. You know what I mean? Bobby and Mark Comic obviously love fighting, but there's this other thing that takes them to another level of super fandom. So I, I kind of, it's odd now. I relate to somebody who is just, you know, a, uh, a Call of Duty obsessive. I'm like, okay, I, I don't like video games, but I understand your obsession. I just happen to have it about men fighting in a cage.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, before we get into that, I want to talk to you because for, for those that don't know, you actually had a music career prior to getting into mixed martial arts.
2: Yeah. Uh, so growing up, I like my. I had two heroes, uh, Bruce Lee and Alice Cooper. And they may not sound logically like they are all that connected, but high levels of performance and artistry and, and de- perfecting their craft, there's an obvious, you know, Uh, relationship between anybody of that kind of level but so I liked I trained fighting as a kid and I started playing in a band in my late teens early 20s because guys who competed in martial arts tournaments didn't get all the ass you know you didn't there weren't groupies for guys who wore a gi and and tried to kick other people at the time there are now incidentally and when you're 19 uh, years old you know fun and getting drunk and chasing girls becomes a higher priority than Before that or after that in your life when other things that are fulfilling. So music made a lot of sense. I've always liked performing and writing and creating art and and stuff like that. But it wasn't, you know, by the time you're 26 or 27 and you're doing pretty well and people kind of know your stuff and you're getting, you know, your art out. I found myself obsessively t- wanting to train martial arts and study the martial arts and watch fighting. And I didn't consume new music, but I consumed every fight that was out there. So when the, the, the you get to turning points in your life where you're like, maybe I should do it, Maybe it'll be hard to change my stream, but if I live till I'm 60, I'll be really glad that I did as I spend the rest of my life immersed in the shit that I love to do.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and the first time you and I connected, this was back when the Fan 590 stations were over on Bloor and Jarvis. Uh, nice. You reached out to me. I, I did some due diligence. I'm like, this guy's just cool. I, I like this guy. Let's see. If he knows fighting or he's fighting, I think you're actually going to um, make your pro debut at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe your second or third fight. And you came into the studio. We sat down, we chit-chatted, and I'm like, I just want – like, I'm looking at the clock. I think we were on a 10, 10, at night. And I'm like, I just want to get on the air with this guy. This guy knows what he's talking about. But – so we go on the air. We, this is what – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go 2008, Robin? Yeah,
2: yeah, 7 possibly. Like, we're going on 10 years ago, 9 for sure.
1: Yeah. A while ago, and then we're on the air, and I'm just sitting there going – Okay, this guy. This guy's cool. This guy knows his stuff, and we can talk about anything here. And I'm looking at the. Cl- I got to go to a commercial break. Come back from a commercial break, and we're t- I got to go to another commercial break. I'm like, this hour is flying. Like we gotta, we just, we gotta figure this out. And then I remember this one time, what really woke me up about you. We were at, at the time, it was the Score Studios downtown, just transferred over to Sportsnet 360 when Sportsnet had purchased the Score, and I think it was the Ultimate Fighter. The announcement of, of Ultimate Fighter Nations, if I'm not mistaken, the show that Elias Theodora won, and you mm. and I were watching I think it was there was a fight that was on, and I think if, if I'm not mistaken, it was Luke Rockhold and Tim Boch, if not UL Romero, and something you said to me was something I didn't catch in the fight. And I looked over at you and I'm like, Hey, you're right. It was something about a takedown, defending the takedown. And you can't defend the takedown if you're up against the cage. You cannot sprawl. If he shoots in on you, you can't right. sprawl. You're in big trouble. And that's when I looked at you, and I'm like, I'm going to use that for my showdown breakdown. Right? And we started talking. And I said, because you've got the way you break down fights. I had a thing called showdowns breakdown, which was – If you look at the way Robin Black, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at the way Robin Black breaks down fights on on his videos, it's very – it's dissective. It's beautiful. It's it's it's, There's analogy. There's psychology, blah, blah. Mine were were on the higher level because I had a minute and a half. I can only Uh. do it in a minute and a half. So I like – I got to talk about that. We got to show that, blah, blah, blah. So we've always had this ability to say, you know what? The fight didn't end just there. It ended a while ago. This is Uh how it was set up. Yeah, I mean, fighting
2: is fascinating. It it, it's uh, as um, Greg Jackson was saying to me the other day, or a a while back when he was in Toronto, is sometimes it's really big and sometimes it's really small. You know, uh, sometimes the details are broad and wide, and sometimes they're little. And you can do look at any layer of those kinds of things, and it's different. Um, I was just in um, in a store where they make a lot of leather stuff and I was looking at this jacket, and when you look at the jacket, you see tassels, and they're beautiful, and there's a big sweep of tassels, but then when you look up close to anyone, any single one of them has little indents and imperfections that when all blended together, you see a shape, but if you step back, they're all disconnected, and, and everything is kind of like that. Everything is is broad, and it's small, and it's wide, and it's And you can hyper focus on any small thing, you know, just breaking down the mechanics of how somebody checks a leg kick. We could spend weeks on that if we want to. We could spend years on that if we want to. Just that. Because there is no definitive answer to any of these things. Like there's a lot of things we talk about in fighting. And like you said, if you have one and a half minutes and... You have people telling you, well, your audience isn't informed. You have to present this way compared to if you have a two hour podcast and you have an audience that are people like coaches and fighters, everything is different. But so sometimes we're forced to have conversations about fighting that are so limited. You know, when a guy comes in here, we put that there and that works. Well, realistically, every one of those choices is its own microscopic spiderweb universe of other variations. So some. Then what happens as a result is we end up at a point where we're creating this dogmatic description of fighting just like exactly the same process that happened when karate happened and kung fu happened and aikido happened you create this this uh this straight line where everything has to be a certain way. And communication today makes us have to talk about fighting that way, when really it's just fucking an unlimited world where you can do anything. You can explore anything. You can study anything. You can try anything. And that's what's so fascinating about it. But our jobs, on a lot of levels, don't really let us do that. We have to say, you know, this guy has knockout power in both hands, and if he touches him on the chin, this fight is over. And we say, but if this guy gets it to the ground, this happens. But that's, that's very, It's it's leading people to have to watch fighting a certain way. But when we get to hang out for an hour and chat, we don't have to live within those parameters. And so I don't know where I'm going with that exactly. But that's I know exactly
1: that- where you're going with that. That would be a conversation me – you, uh, Faraz, yeah, Greg. Justin Brockman, you know any of these? Yeah. So these- you, 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 you have one way of looking at thing, and but you like, listen, there's a lot more to. This. And then they've got their way, and there's yeah. a lot more to it. Yeah. And it's just like because I've I've sat there with Faraz before and Greg, uh, not not so much with Greg because Faraz I've known for for years, and you know we've gone out for for lunches, dinners, breakfasts, and drinks, whatever, blah blah breaks down things, it always opens opens my mind up. I look at your videos and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with that. I would, whoa, I never thought of that. Yeah. And then Greg will say, well, no, you could just do this and blah. Because Greg yeah. will take something that's very, very basic and sort of add a, a small thing to it. Like he always said, for example, whenever you look at, he goes, Joe, if you ever want to look at a ground and pound someone, go look at Diego Sanchez in his prime. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, if you look at how he mounts somebody, he's high, but he has his hands up like this. It's mm-hmm. not this, it's not inside where he's punching down. He's up and it's a piston yeah. coming down. He goes, I want you to go home. I know you've got your dummy at home. you got your heavy bag at home, blah, blah. I want you to drill that. Three minutes, drill that, just be a piston. And I was like, okay, the power generation was absolutely mm-hmm. insane as opposed to me just trying to, you know, fake mouth and just punching down like this. Whereas if I was up, that guy can't stop anything, right? So it was just He changing.
2: He also changing the angles of entry. So that instead of a person dealing with this coming at them, they're dealing with this coming at them. You know, if you think about it, if you just look straight up and you're imagining that John Jones is above you, that's terrifying.
1: But this <laughs> is one
2: thing, but all of this, every different angle is another. But and any one of these things, what, what I find so fascinating about, about everything uh, that we work on and study and look at and get to see is that Things that are correct now are destined to be wrong in eighteen months because the martial arts is not a, anything is right or wrong. Um, that is uh, what do you call that? That's those are ducklings, you know. That's this, the evolution. Yeah, yeah. If this works, then we will, Greg or you know Duke or whoever. Their job will be to make this not work anymore. So something is happening. This works. This is how you do it. It's always like this. Then the job of the coach over time is to anticipate how eventually we will penalize you for being good at that. The reason that, that um, we choke people the way that we do is because when a normal person gets hit, their automatic reaction is to turn away. So turning away became a position that we have to master. They're doing something. Human beings, go, human beings move away from it. When they do, they give up this thing, and so we attack it. And that natural reaction of evolving how the martial arts happen uh, is you do something, maybe it's right, but because we know you're going to do it, we'll make it wrong. And that keeps going again and again and again and again until we're teaching something and we say, this is always how you work an underhook in a head position within 18 months, Uh, Matt Hume and Demetrius Johnson will make that the wrong choice for you and that'll happen forever Which is why we'll never really ever know the truth about fighting because the truth about fighting is a liquid thing that will change uh, What we know to be correct today if we if we fast forward and you and I are sitting at whatever version of Google Hangouts exists in 2026. We're a little older and we're a little fatter. <laughs> and, and you, and your kids are grown and, and whatever. And we're talking about fighting now. We would bring back this conversation. Much of it will be wrong. And that's cool. That's exciting. It means that we're, we're, if we ever believe we're experts, we'll, we'll have stopped being part of the river of change, and then we'll become ancient. So you're forced to keep re-examining it, that the, the coaches who train fighters to fight, and the fighters themselves, and us, if our job is to tell the story, we have to change our understanding and, and approach it with beginner's minds every single day, the, or else the thing that we think we know is suddenly true but wrong today
1: absolutely and you take a look at the evolution of how even from the beginning of mixed martial arts I was you know everybody was afraid of jiu-jitsu we got to figure out this Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the wrestlers figured it out and they basically defended jiu-jitsu and then the strikers said hey you know what I got to defend takedowns from the wrestlers but I got to know jiu-jitsu and the next thing you know the evolution of the mixed martial artists led us to I don't know uh Pat Miletic or Carlos Newton and it just got crazier and crazier from there yeah. uh I, I remember the first time I saw a hammer fist I laughed because it was yeah. Maurice Smith yeah. that said you know Mark Coleman hits like a girl and then you got Shogun and Pride just driving his fist into people's skulls, knocking yep. them out. And I remember with Antonio Carvalho and the aforementioned Justin Bruckman, we're over at Shaw Franco's, yep. we're like, we're drilling hammer fists. This, this stuff works, right? So it's, and it next is, thing you know. It's crazy you're saying that. I was just
2: so, that that generation of, of how the game was evolved in Canada, and you're describing right in the heart of that. Uh, was happening all over Canada. So I was having a, a... I was Skyping and having a beer, watching Bellator... No, watching Legacy with Marc-Andre Drolet in Winnipeg, who is part of that same evolutionary period in Canada, but in Winnipeg with Curtis Brigham and Giuseppe Denitali and stuff. And there are people from this history of Canada from that same era that you're describing that you were right in the nugget, the heart of at the time, uh, right across Canada. But literally, I was on whatever night was legacy Thursday night, Mark Andre was talking about that exact moment in time where they started seeing hammer fists and everybody's like, Whoa, that doesn't work. Holy shit. That works. That's going to happen. That's going to happen this year with any number of different things, things that are, we know to not, I mean, uh, what's his name? The Brazilian last night, uh, spinning hook kick, you know, uh, South- only five, yeah, Santos. Only only five years ago or six years ago, before that Brit landed that one, uh, or it got it was landed on him uh, by uh, Edson Barbosa, Barbosa. Yeah, Bar- it's right there yeah. yeah, yeah. Only before that, spinning hook kicks do not work. They can never work. They don't work, and nobody should ever throw them because they they don't work in mixed martial arts. Well, now they happen. Every couple of months. Now it's very common. And that is not unique to fighting. Tony Hawk did whatever it was. I don't know, four and a half, five rotations, whatever that is, the 15 or 16, whatever. That was impossible. It cannot be done. No human being will ever do five full rotations on a skateboard. The quad and figure skating will never be done. Nobody can do it. It's physically impossible. Now the quad and figure skating, 17-year-olds do it. Because yeah. once a human does it, the, all the rest of us look and go, oh, that's possible now? Okay, well, I'm going to do that. And, and it becomes normal. So there'll be lots of things like that. There's, there's people right now who say, you know, Wing Chun is useless. Well, if everybody thinks that, somebody's going to come along and work games to, to, to strike and damage you or damage your weapons, which is something we're going to see a lot coming up. Uh, as you're in there. If anybody thinks something doesn't work, that's where some great mind will go, which means their training partners don't do it and they're not used to it and their coaches don't address it. So that's something that's an opening for us. And we'll go and we'll develop something. And it isn't just old things. There'll be entirely new concepts that we can't even wrap our heads around that some 14 year old right now is going to be doing in five years.
1: You mentioned uh, Thiago Santos, Santos yesterday, at UFC Halifax. I mean, going up and down this card, there's a few things that stood out for me. Uh, you know, mostly positives. I guess you could say controversial and/or you know, coachable uh, in terms of fighters and for referees. Uh, the one thing I want to talk about is Eamon Zahabi. I had a, I had a I was concerned about Eamon making his, his UFC debut on the auspices that. I hadn't seen him get tested fully enough to say, you know what, before you get to the big show, I want to see your heart tested. Well, he got tested yesterday. Uh, My only concern Mm -hmm. with Eamon yesterday, because I only say concern because, hey, man, you were on the big show, big bright lights, octagon. That's a lot of pressure for someone, obviously, with the last name, Zahabi. Uh, The only negative, if you want to say negative, that I saw in, in Zahabi's game was just the head movement. It was something for some reason it was gone, but the pressure was there. The rhythm was there. The pace was there. The precision was ridiculous when he was launching those punches, when he decided to switch that gear. I mean, it it was ugly for Vera. It was, it was bad, but he came out victorious. I I was, I I tweeted out that I finally was able to exhale. I'm happy for him, but I mean, I, I, if you want to give him a report card, I'm going to give him like a B plus an A. Other than head movement, which I'm sure Faraz now has 15 minutes of tape to look at. And he's probably, you know, it is. But, I mean, what what are your thoughts on it?
2: I think uh, it is the best case scenario we could ever hope for if we're Amon's people. Because if we had an A+++, and he just destroyed somebody, we'd have nothing to work on. And now we've got some things. And he moves his head and he moves his feet really well. And once his body fatigued ever so slightly or his focus changed ever so slightly, those were the things to go we have something now we have we have we know this guy's this good we know but if only we had some real data so that we could work on something now we do if he murdered that guy in a minute and a half that would have been a really bad result for his long term we got nothing out of it now we got this now we got he we got hit too many times for somebody who's a master of the distance manipulation we got hit too many times good okay good uh we got to get get buzzed a little bit and find out how we react under the pressure. turns out we react really well. Okay. Oh great. yeah. He does. Yeah, okay, for sure. Great. So the, I think it's all mega positive. I go even a B. I go even a B or a B minus uh, for his skill level, which is great because we know he's an A plus player uh, at his best. So what we get to find out is when put into uh, the re, the reality of a guy with twenty fights who's coming after him who will not go away who's not going to be intimidated all of those things what how much degradation in in performance do we get or we get a little bit awesome we have a place to work so I I think the best case scenario of all scenarios for Eamon and for Raz and that whole team is to have fifteen hard minutes and some things to work on and and uh, as a result I think that's I. I just think his growth is going to be so much now. And if he, mur- if he just murked that guy with, you know, a slip, boom, slip, boom, head kick done, we wouldn't have got that. We wouldn't have known, you know, he wouldn't, oh man, like to be able to go and speed, have the experience of on the stool between round two and three when a guy came on at the end of round two, and that's amazing. So I was really happy for all of those guys. Uh, uh, and I'm really happy he didn't just lay that guy out in a minute. This was way better.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, you make, you make some valid points. Um, Randa Marcos emerged victorious. Uh, Carlos Barza, I'm concerned that uh, despite the split decision loss, we may have seen the last of Carlos Barza in the UFC because there are so many changes happening right now with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. They're cutting people. They're letting people go. Horiguchi just signed with Ryzen. Uh, Krylov says, nah, I'm going to Russia. The yeah. report last week of 30 fighters being cut, Misha Sirkunov not signing. Uh, it looks like the UFC, Travis Brown, could be cut and we'll talk about that in a minute but i think we've seen the last of carlos farza robin you know which is crazy like this
2: for for her the performances i think you have to go back to the way that she framed winning the first ever 115 pound title by winning a reality tv show there was her talking about i've accomplished everything i've come to do it came too easy You know what I mean? Uh, She was a way better wrestler. It was a developing division. That was where the areas of weakness for a lot of these girls was. And she could come in there and just win a reality show and be a UFC champion. She never had to go out there and chase it. And, you know, eight weeks later, you're the champion. You know, a couple months back, 115 didn't even exist. Now I'm the champion of it. and, And I beat up a few regional girls. It never allowed her to go, I've achieved nothing yet. I need to get better every day. I need to be hungry, you know, and she hasn't performed super well. There was a a good win in there since that loss uh, to somebody who couldn't wrestle as well as her. But Randa is, Randa is very much like the test that Eamon had. Randa and and Carla failed that test, uh, or at least was close. It was close enough that she didn't, own that test randa was going to keep coming at her randa, the the greatest trait that randa marcos has is that she's just keep coming at you she's ravenous to win and uh and that's that we we thought we were talking about it with gabe who places a lot of bets on fighting which to me is just a, a surefire way to have high blood pressure yeah but, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, uh Carlos was like plus four or minus four hundred or something insane, and I was like, Randa's going to win this fight. like Rand is exactly the wrong uh, the wrong opponent for somebody who may have their biggest challenge is overcoming the mental hurdles of being pushed hard so so it's a shame if Carlos Esparza does get cut for sure. Um, it was winning that title too soon. Misha Tate never re- rebounded from that win. you know what I mean she that she never recovered from winning the title, and Carla Esparza was kind of the same thing.
1: Uh, so in that division there with Misha Tate was uh, Sarah McMahon. Um, she defeated Gina Mazzini. And, and I mentioned this last night after the, the show was over with Sean Rossap, managing editor uh, for Fightful. Oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, follow Robin Black online, social media, at Robin Black MMA, yours truly, at Showdown Joe. Do not forget, uh, we're both pretty much polite. We're Canadians. Uh, we don't really mm. rock the boat. We're very thankful for the support that we get, uh, except when we're off social media and we're hanging out. We're disastrous. Um, Sarah yeah, McMahon. <laughs> Sarah McMahon. So everyone was praising Sarah McMahon. And, oh, she's yeah. a destroyer. She's so strong. And I was like, yeah. well, she fought Gina Mazzini, ladies and gentlemen. Like, this is what yeah. she should have did. And she did it masterfully. She got that head and arm mm-hmm. choke like that, which is she's been getting it on everyone. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to think just yet. Of Sarah McMahon's stock did it rise did it stay the same I know it didn't go down but what does it really
2: mean yeah that's a tough one it's like that's a weird position to be in too. when you're when you're trying to to process the pressure of everybody expects me and she she addressed it which is a good sign everybody expects me to win and everybody expects me to kill this woman in the highlight real fashion run through her destroy her that's tough and you have to do it. <laughs> and she did it. Um, but uh, of all the, the women out in that division, she's one that I wouldn't want to fuck with, you know? Like, oh, hell no. She, you know what I mean? Like, of, of, you look at all of them. She, she could easily be the champion of the world one day. Especially now, it seems like she's uh, really logically playing to her strengths. There's this thing that happens. You get somebody who's great at jujitsu, and you get them in the gym boxing, you know, a lot. And then they like boxing. It's great. I love it. Oh, it's so fun. Oh, I'm slipping left hands and against training partners. And then they go and they box in a fight. and uh, Or you get the boxer and they suddenly really like wrestling or whatever. But then that, then that period happens where it all kind of gels together and all of a sudden they're just free fighting. And I think she could be at that period now. And if, if and when she is, she could be one of these scary ones, you know, uh, that could be the champion of the world for sure. But, yeah, you're right. You don't get to that, – that isn't proven by beating somebody who – you know, came up from, from the, the minors and hasn't faced anyone in the top 20, you know, so that's a tough night.
1: A gentleman that you managed previously. Uh, he is my co-host Tuesdays here on the Fightful MMA podcast, Elias Theodoro. Um, every time he fights, yes, stressed I I mean I I don't like watching him fight I don't like watching any of my my friends fight Uh, but it is part of the game Uh, he he does have a style that many people are like what is he doing it's just it doesn't look like it should be technically something that is cookie cutter Uh and put into the octagon he does have a sort of a strange style Uh, but he did emerge victorious there is arguments that could be made that Caesar actually won that fight Uh, and then right away the first thing people that, that I was starting to receive on my phone after the even during the fight heading in maybe I would say into the third round middle of the third round is when I started getting the messages saying hey is Elias focusing too much on outside of MMA, like stuff that is outside of MMA? And I was like, no, he's, he's balancing it all. Uh, can he focus on more? Of course he can, but he's also got a brand to develop. So I think Elias is going to be walking into some, some negativity th- today in terms of people criticizing him and saying he needs to focus more on MMA, and he's just going to say no because he's, he won. Yeah. So your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, so he won the Ultimate Fighter. He's won all of his fights in the UFC except for going to a decision with somebody who finishes everybody. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm winning, <laughs> you know, if you're winning, it's hard to say that if he were to have got laid out in the first round. And there were moments where he was being timed on those, you know, open field kicks uh, that, you know, if one of those laid him out, he would have a much better argument to go to him and say, dude, seriously, like, you know, Uh, being everywhere all the time is not winning fights for you. But now you don't have that argument. That was a tough, tough, big, powerful, legit, physically legit 185-er. Like, we're getting in when you're talking about dealing with physical specimens, we're getting into Luke Rockhold territory of physicality. You know what I mean? They're, Yoel Romero and Luke Rockhold, they're like the physical uh, tops of that division. This guy, you know, Mutante or Muchante, uh, uh, however, we're we're pronouncing it with a with a Portuguese, a South American Portuguese uh, accent. Is um, uh, he's getting into that that area? So you're dealing with the physical best and skill wise, he's he's tough and he was pushed. And Elias will win, you know, when when asked to dig deep, and that's how he won again. And he keeps getting better. Evan Boris is one of my close friends, and he was out there not as a corner for Alex Ricci, but kind of as a you know as a support. Uh, and uh, Angelo, who uh, Alex's coach, would ask Ricci to be, try to mimic uh, Paul Belder in, in you know, just in warm-ups and stuff like that. And I was asking Evan, you know, from, from Halifax, how's, this, how's it going out there and, and how's everybody doing? And he said he was shocked when he went in and saw Elias hitting uh, pads with, I believe, Crew ash I'm not sure. Uh, and he said, I, I just couldn't believe how much he's improved because Evan has worked with him a lot but hadn't seen him in – let's say eight weeks, 10 weeks. He was like, I was just shocked how sharp he was. And he's not going to say that unless it's true. There's no reason to tell me that. Plus I hear it in his voice. He was like, holy shit. Eli has really, really improved, like has gotten a lot better. And when they're seeing that and you're winning and you're getting better and there's a comfort that he has, there's a real comfort in there. And some of that comes by taking The the fight and not making it such a big thing. It's just a part of your week. You get in your 20 hours of training. You be very focused on skill development when you're in there. You, you, You spend the appropriate mental energy to learn. But then when you're outside of it, crack jokes about your
0: stupid. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal: simple, delicious, and just five ninety nine. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price of participation vary. Terms apply.
2: Hair, and you and you go on your friend's podcast once a week, and you do travel and whatever, and it works for him. And so, and you mentioned uh, negativity. He don't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit about
1: about what the sheep think. It doesn't. He absolutely doesn't. He's freaking hilarious. And the guy gives me just, just stresses me out, Robin. Yeah, I can't deal with him I anymore. Know, stresses definitely. me out. Um, one guy that didn't stress me out last night—that uh, actually I call him—I I call these like the couch movers. It's the ones where you're sitting on your couch or you're at the bar or whatever you're watching the fights, and all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, hey, what is happening here?" Yeah. Gavin Tucker. Yeah. Holy yeah. smokes! Did he come in? And it wasn't more than it was. It was much more than welcome to the big show. You belong yeah. in the big show, son. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, um, uh,
2: the little asterisks, and I don't want to take anything away from an awesome guy who's got that energy that we like, and he's got a spectacular martial artist, and he, best thing of all was his ability to really perform in the moment. Uh, with The, the, the skills, the, the footwork, and the striking, and the timing, all of those things were brilliant, but it's the ability to do them when it counts, you know, and not be... Oh, like under aroused for by the fight or over aroused for the fight. Just perfect. That's that. That's a real thing. That's a legit thing. Uh, if we put any type of asterisk where we got, shouldn't go totally insane yet or let him go that way, which he won't. Uh, Peter will, will absolutely keep him focused on the reality. He should party. He should enjoy his week. He should cherish and relish that win and performance and victory. And then he should leave it behind him and get back to work. But the guy he fought was custom made for this game. The guy, and he performed perfectly. But, you know, we, if you put him in there against a higher level guy, we still need a lot of growth out of him to be able to be that good against a higher-level guy. He had a very flat-footed guy, very in touch with the ground. His power is generated through his connection to the earth or the mat, and so this is how you beat that guy. It was beautiful. I love those little shuffle uppercuts, and there was all kinds of cool shit that he did, all kinds of awesome stuff. Um, but I think the biggest key was the ability to do it in the moment. It was He knew he had the right game to beat this man. He knew he had the right game to look good against this man, but to be able to do it and have fun and be in the moment, be truly present in the moment, uh, that was beautiful. It was really beautiful. He'll have that forever, but you hope that he builds on it even more, and each one is just still a brand-new challenge to be able to do that because there are people who perform brilliantly sometimes. You wanna, he wants to be brilliantly st- every time.
1: Yeah, and, and apologies, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Robert and I didn't mention the name Sam Cecilia. That's who Gavin t- Tucker yes. uh, competed yeah. against. Uh, yeah. I can, You know what? I can understand what you're saying about a, a tailor-made yeah. opponent, but I got to tell you, with Gavin Tucker, I kept looking over uh, at the clock on the screen to remind myself that this was not a bantamweight fight. It was a featherweight mm-hmm. fight. So I'm very impressed with Gavin Tucker's performance. Uh, like you said, it was it was... It's, he caught lightning in a bottle last night. Hopefully, uh-huh. he can uh, he can move forward with it and 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 you know continue to to, to showcase that there's a lot of Canadians uh, that are fantastic fighters and he is one of them. Johnny Hendricks, former UFC welterweight champion, now moves up to 185 pounds, takes on Hector Lombard. Uh, obviously, had much more energy than he would at 170 pounds, but I still don't know what this all means. I will chalk it up to his first bout at middleweight. Uh-huh but I don't know what it's going to mean when he starts moving up um, the upper echelon only because he has a name and chances are the UFC will pit him against another name in this division. And yesterday I said it best. He was interviewed afterwards by a middleweight in Brian Stan who towered yeah. over him. That says yeah. a lot.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was a, a fine performance Two guys that are Actually, welterweights at the tail end of their career, neither won what they near their best or even 80% of what their best was. And their best is now years back, and the game has changed dramatically. Um, I just, I don't want to. You know who I'd like to actually see him fight? I was just about to say, I don't want to see him fight. Um, Luke Rockall, the Yol Romero, or Chris Wideman. I mean, you no, can't. He's no, five no, foot no. eight. He's 5 for 9 on a tall day. You saw that weight he was carrying that is nowhere. To, that guy's skeleton-wise. I know he would say I'm crazy and some people who wouldn't look at, you know, what it is, body fat percentage and what your controllables of what weight you carry if you decide to go that way. He could make 55 for real a, a a different mentally focused athlete with the same body composition and a better approach to both nutrition and training and lifestyle in in six months would be a 55er, if he wanted to. And he would deny that to the ends of the earth, but he, he eats what he wants to eat. He doesn't eat like a professional athlete. Um, so there's no way that, that guy at 185 should be fighting those people. I, but I would like to see him fight Anderson Silva. Another guy who is at the end of his career, he's a different kind of fighter. Anderson Silva also just had, you know, there were people saying, oh, it's great to see the old Anderson Silva back. That was just Anderson having a good night at 41 because he's so skilled. And that's kind of what we saw from Johnny Hendricks. And that, you know, something like that makes sense. Or or, or um, uh, George coming back and rematching him. Or Anderson Silva at 185. I mean, these, once we get to these guys, Johnny, Anderson, we see guys who have achieved the greatest things. Anderson's one of the greatest of all time. But we have to admit they're not the same thing. And the game is accelerating so fast. I don't want to see this... These guys who are – Anderson, who is a legend, Johnny, who's moving that way. I want to see them get crushed by these young, killer
1: middleweights. We've talked about this at length on the podcast about not a master's division, but the right to matchmake accordingly based on the fact that, you know what, BJ Penn is not – An elite fighter anymore, but if he still has it in him and he still wants to compete, Dennis Seaver's perfectly fine. Cole Miller Mm. was perfectly fine. Cole Uh, Miller
2: was the best fight for BJ. It was perfect.
1: Right. So that's what I'm saying. It's it's it's, we're we're so and when I say we, uh, I don't mean the MMA media as well. I I do mean the media, but also the fans, just the observers. Once someone gets the royal we. Yeah, once well, someone gets to the upper echelon and begins, you can't stay up there unless you're George St. Pierre and you walk away, but you can't stay up there. You're eventually going to slide down. And if you slide down, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, right away, I mean, right away, yeah, you do have to fight a top contender to to remain relevant. But when it starts showing, especially at age 41 for Anderson Silva, um, you know, BJ Penn's long in the tooth as well as soon as you start realizing these other guys are 22 23 speed is absolutely on a different level start matching them up with other fighters that are in the same age bracket or hate to say it sounds weird skill set you uh-huh. know uh, it, it just makes more sense we we can still see them fight as much as i don't want to see them fight because you know there there's a lot of trauma that the brain goes through uh-huh. in, in in combat sports but if they do want to fight they want to continue all I've ever asked for, I wrote a, a pretty lengthy article on it, Is just make it fair. I just want to see it yeah. fair. I, I want you to hold your thought, though, about Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks and stuff like that because I want to throw something your way in a moment, um, a little curveball in terms of what potentially could happen in the UFC, especially with the, the current ownership uh, and them really trying to make some money back. I want to touch quickly on the main event between Derek Lewis and Travis Brown, who Travis Brown came out with a, a fantastic kicking style. The striking was fantastic. Did great in the first round, uh, and then I thought, you know, you're not using your footwork. You're eating those uppercuts in the second round. You're in that. You're up against the cage, and Derek Lewis is not a guy who you want to see if you can take his punches. And lo and behold, um, goes down three minutes twelve seconds into the second round. And I don't know if Mario Yamasaki has a beef with Travis Brown, but my goodness, yeah, could he have really? stopped that fight earlier.
2: Yeah, I didn't like seeing. You know, your job is to protect those fighters and sub- sometimes protect them from themselves. They, they want to keep going, but uh, so I didn't like that. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting fight. I felt, I felt bad for Travis Brown because I like him. He's, he's a good dude, and, and he's very smart. And, and the world has developed some of him not based in any reality. Um, and uh, he had a great strategic game. You know and he was patient he's got that guy all smashed up to the body and you don't rush in now maybe if you did you roll the dice maybe you get him out of there maybe you don't but I like the patience he was like hey man I can stay out here and smash up your legs and smash up your body as long as it takes um, and um, big big credit to Derek Lewis you know what you have to do in that case you might even have to take one to get in there or you know have a glancing one or take it off the arm which hurts so bad uh, but he got in there And it was a cool heavyweight fight. It was a cool... There's something cool about about heavyweight fights. They're a little slower, a little broader strokes, a little easier to understand. You know, you want to really tell the story of what Gavin Tucker did with Sam Cecilia. That's going to take you a lot of words and a lot of time and a lot of explaining. And you even have to explain some back concepts. Can't just say, Gavin switched his foot like this, which led to this. How and why and what, you know, what is... What is uh, Cecilia's mind reading that as? There's so many things. But with heavyweights, you can be like, listen, I'm out here kicking you. That's good. If you can get a little closer, that's bad. <laughs> so there's a real beauty in heavyweight fights in that way. Uh, and this one was like that. You know, If, if Travis could have kept moving his feet uh, and kept stabbing and, and hacking from the outside, he, he would have he kept wearing this guy down. And you know that. And I know that, and 75% of the audience watching it knew that, and both coaches know that, and both fighters know that. So, so Lewis, his team, with the break in the middle, they're like, we know what we have to do, and he did it. And uh, uh, Brown kind of whiffed on a, a takedown off the body lock because that guy's 300 pounds when he regains his, his, um, his fluids and his carbs, and so he ended up underneath them. And he did decent, better than most of Lewis's other guys, but Lewis is better than he was ready for it. And so it was really cool. That was a true, genuinely well-earned victory for Lewis, who it's going to be hard to deny him pretty soon. And you start thinking about how would he do with Kane Velasquez or Josh Barnett? And you think, oh, he been like, please. Now you're like, actually, he's in there. He's in those fights.
1: I don't know if they're ever going to put a microphone in front of his mouth uh, on television anymore, maybe on pay-per-view. But I know what what was going through my mind in his post-fight interview um, when he brought up the fact of, you know, Travis Brown's quote unquote past. uh, And then of course saying, you know, the whole Ronda Rousey thing, what does Ronda Rousey think about this? And I was just like, man, you can't go after a guy's girl like that. Like that's.
2: Yeah. It's classless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Very classless. Uh, And there, this past conversation, There was an allegation, so it's brought up, then people will Google it. And there's so much misinformation that there's this concept in people's minds that they know the truth. The truth is that this man had a – I can't remember if he was married or just coming up with a woman. And when he split with her, he started dating one of the most famous, beautiful women in the world. Now, I don't know about our viewers. I like to think I'm a a really subtle, logical – person. But if my wife left me for Justin Bieber, I don't know how I would react. How she reacted was she made allegations against him, which is, I'm not saying if my wife left me for Justin Bieber, or the most famous, rich, handsome man in the world, that I might not crack. And by all accounts, she did. And she withdrew that and said she cracked and said that didn't happen and said that there was something that she did, like we could all, if we were being honest, could allege if our wives left us for Justin Bieber. This by all accounts, his, hers, the police, everybody in the world, this did not take place. Yet, because of the culture that we live in and because of people like Derek Lewis, it gets propagated as if it was true. When every single shred of evidence, including the real person, and yes, I know that these are multi-layered things, but says it was is not true. And this poor man has to carry that around. And she's apologized for it. And I would empathetically think, hmm, I think I could imagine myself doing such a thing. I love my wife. She's the greatest thing in the world. Fuck Justin Bieber. Why'd you steal my wife? Who knows? <laughs> you know what I mean? Who knows what, what a normal person could do? It doesn't make her a bad person. It makes her a person. But the facts of the matter is, this never took place. And this guy, because of the nature of our society and the nature of how social media spreads – untruths and partial truths and gossip and rumors now this guy deals with that and assholes like Derek Lewis go into a cage and state it again and this man has to walk through the world with that and his only crime by all accounts was falling in love with Ronda Rousey so fuck Derek Lewis and anybody who repeats something and tortures this man because of something that never happened and that's my real feeling and that makes me sick to my stomach that culturally we live in a world where the truth is not relevant. If it's funny or if it's controversial or provocative, you can look on a on a thing with Travis Brown, and I would recommend people don't ever look on things and like and um, comments and stuff. But I guarantee you, open a Travis Brown anything and be like, he hits his wife harder than he hit that that man. Sure, that shit is funny to you. But this man is going through his life. He's a human being like every human being watching this, and he's going through this life with people propagating these lies. And a man he stepped in the cage with and had the the guts and the heart to share an experience with, that asshole is talking about it like that too. And that makes me sick to my stomach.
1: I, listen, I, I, I'm – Full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen. Everyone knows Travis Brown and I are, are, are you know, we're, we're close, and he's always taking care of me whenever I've seen him in any city in North America. So I'm not going to sit here and disagree with Robin Black because I, I, I see that stuff. I, I had to deal with it with Frank Trigg. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's always something and, and some truth. But I, I've always felt bad to tell you this, and I've said it on this podcast, Travis Brown is one of the nicest guys, funniest guys, awesome father. Uh, and just because he can pick me up like a piece of paper and, and throw me yeah. through a table in a sushi restaurant in Vegas doesn't make him a bad guy. All right? Yeah, that's, true. Just, that's what he does. Yeah. Or in the middle of Denver. You know, bunch yeah. of ca- from Winnipeg. You mentioned Winnipeg. I don't know if you ever heard the story. I had some fans in Winnipeg. I think we were in Minnesota. If I'm not mistaken, the UFC in Mini uh, or Minneapolis. And I got recognized, and people were yeah. asking for pictures and, and autographs. Okay, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there, and as soon as I handed it back, I'm in the air. I'm airborne. Yeah. And it's, guess who it is? Travis Brown. Yeah. So yeah. I am yeah. blah, blah. Where are we going tonight when you're done? let me know. So he's just, yeah. he's just a fantastic guy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. I hate the, you know, it's a, the like you, said, you mentioned the propagation. It drives me up the wall, but there are good yeah. people in this, but, but it's, the, it's the society we live in.
2: Yeah, and and uh, uh, the, my last thought on this is when there is something that's horrible, and 98 times out of 100 it's 100% true, there are two, there are still two percent, there's still two innocent human beings in some cases where things are alleged. And we we don't need to be like, everybody who says these things are lying, or nobody could ever be lying. Every single one of these cases is, is an individual case. And, and we should believe 99% of people who make these allegations until we see all of the evidence. Or actually, we should believe people are innocent until they're proven guilty. But at the same time, we should not doubt somebody who makes a serious allegation. But then you you need evidence and the evidence in this case right down to every human being that's been involved on any level of every research says that there's nothing to this and it was a a reaction of a human being that we any of us could have and we shouldn't judge her for having it either but things like that but this is the world that we live in this is the world that we live in that that if something is on the internet we haven't yet ability to question it all and to be skeptical But are genuinely reasonably skeptical. We're now seeing a little (laughs) Sorry to, to, to sidetrack our conversation about the best thing in the world, fighting. But we're seeing a reaction now where people disbelieve everything on the other hand. That's not the answer either. But this, these, these type of cultural things will get worked out. In the meantime, as long as we can watch the martial arts and learn something from it and be not only entertained but learn something from the way that they train and grow and become better human beings, maybe, maybe it helps us.
1: You talk about the world we live in right now. I just want to throw a quick joke at you, by the way. Uh, and, and hopefully your wife would never leave you. For Justin Bieber uh I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be very upset with Justin Bieber but I thought to myself my wife's infatuated with uh I guess Enrico Enrique Iglesias uh <laughs> and if he ever took my wife I probably wouldn't be happy but I also would be positive about it and say that opens the door for me right. looking at Kate Upton or Sofia Vergara just throwing <laughs> it out there
2: yeah it's true it's true I actually met Justin Bieber in Los Angeles you know you've met his dad Jeremy who's involved in the fight game And I I went and spoke to Jess, I said, you know, I met your father and whatever. And uh, the one thing I felt very, I felt, you know, bad for him because his first thing when he was looking at me, he had the knee jerk reaction that he has with every single meeting that he has. Who is this guy? Is he dangerous to me? What does he want from me? And uh, should I be, because he's afraid of people because people spit on him. People jump up and take pictures with him like he's a zoo animal. People pull on him. People try to get him to buy things. People try to take things from him. They try to trick him. And it's not easy being those guys. And, uh, and is now you know, with one of the most famous people in the world. And, and I know that we look at that and go, well, if we had the money and the yacht and the, and the fame, you know, it's just one of the things that goes with it. But we forget that these are human beings just like us whose lives are all fucked up.
1: People don't understand that. I mean, you're on television. You're on the internet. I I, I had an amazing run on mainstream television. And you know, when, when people meet me, Robin, and I'm telling you, when they meet me at the gas station, when I'm pumping gas, when I'm buying milk, when I'm putting a French fry in my son's mouth, please eat your dinner. I know it's the worst dinner, but you got to eat something. Uh, or when I go to the, the bathroom and people try and stop me and stuff like that, they quickly realize, hey, man, you're like a regular dude. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I shovel my driveway. Uh, exactly. I, I cut my grass. I'm the one sitting there raking my grass, trying to seed it properly. Uh, I, I, I'm a regular guy. You know, people people walk by. I was jogging in the neighborhood one time. I, I People doing full U-turns, freaking yeah. out that they saw me. And I'm like, I'm just trying to keep in shape, man. 43 years old. Got to try and look young. You know, like just every, everyone's and – and then you multiply that by an million number when it comes to Bieber and those guys.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and all you gotta do is remember Sofia Vargara takes a shit. You know she does. Right. And uh, so do, so does everybody else. And they all and they're scared of things. And they don't. They have fights with their mom. And they, everything normal that you do, they do. Um, but uh, yeah, that that I'm a, I was I was a Derek Lewis fan, but that level of classlessness for somebody you don't have a fight without your opponent. he's your partner on some level too there is no fight if you're alone in a cage you don't have anything you don't have the chance to perform you don't have the chance to show your skills You you don't have anything you need this man and you should be thankful for this man. And and maybe Derek Lewis actually is just succumbed to the nonsense of the Internet and never bothered to do any looking into anything. And so we shouldn't judge him. He's just like 90 percent of the world. But that was a classless scumbag move to take, a, take something that has been universally proven to be an untrue allegation and, and pass that out into the world like that. It, it really – that's not what fighting is about. That's not what the martial arts is about.
1: All right. We're going to close thing off here because we're going to wrap this up here. I know we both got to go. Um, You talk about the world we live in. You talk about propagation. We talk about Changes that are happening in mixed martial arts, uh, specifically, you know, I, I wrote a piece about how you know people always talk about Viacom money and Viacom this and Viacom that. Mm-hmm. There are problems at Viacom, ladies and gentlemen. There are problems with the ownership of Viacom. Uh, there are problems with the new ownership with the UFC. We're seeing drastic changes, especially financially. Uh, and then people joked afterwards with Anderson Silva defeating Derek Brunson uh, and and this whole middleweight division being on hold. And and you know you throw out these chess pieces on a, on a board and you start realizing wait a second we might have a game here and I threw and it wasn't me that threw it out I saw I think it was front row Brian that threw it out there Sean Ross Sapp threw it out there I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC does a rematch with Michael Bisping and Anderson Silva I will also talk about this George St. Pierre coming back at 185 pounds, potentially, taking on Michael Bisping, which was the fight that should have took place in Toronto. If that fight does take place, and this is a massive what if, that fight takes place. George St. Pierre emerges victorious. That potentially sets up the fight that we've all been waiting for forever, George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva. Robin Black, you were just standing at the plate, cocked, ready to hit a ball, and I just threw four curveballs at you. Yeah. Start swinging.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a... Um, it, it, systemically, it's a big picture thing that I would like to live in the world as a purist of just fighting where the best two guys will fight and whoever ever the champion, the guy who beat the best guys will go up and fight him. But I don't live in that world and I have no influence on making the world that. So even though that would be my dream scenario, I am influenceless on this so I can either complain about it which is inaction uh, disguised as action, so stand on a street corner and scream, I can't believe this is this is unfair. This will accomplish nothing for me. So I have to just deal with the reality of it. And so then I'm like, okay, well, at least if I understand what the reality is, uh, it will be easier for me to digest it. I can accept it. And the reality is, I think we all know this. I think, you know, you and I know this. I think most people that are, that are joining us in this conversation know this. The fight that will get made is the fight that will make the most money, and the fight that the most people will pay for, and and so we we could be outraged by that, but our outrage will accomplish nothing to change that, and it will probably make our day way worse. So we can't be outraged by that. So what the fuck can we do? Well, we can either anticipate it, and uh, it's also there's a now. So what I just said is how it was. We were talking about how fighting changes. So that's how it was when when Dana White, Craig Borsari, and three or four other key people, Joe Silva, a few other key people, would bring these things together and they'd be building these cards. They're like, okay, that'll be huge. People will love that. And then somebody would say, but Nick Diaz just lost two fights. How could he fight for the middleweight title, say? I mean, like, who cares? Their outrage will sell more pay-per-views. And they're right. So just make whatever the biggest fight was. Now, there's the influence of who ran entertainment businesses. And I know Rogan was talking about this, that when he observed conversations about uh, Ronda Rousey uh, fighting, uh, refighting for the title, they just never even entertained the idea that she could lose. They were just like, okay, and we'll bring Ronda in, and she'll beat that Brazilian lady, whatever her name is, and then Ronda will be the champ. Obviously, now we have people working with a misunderstanding of how this works. This is fucking fighting. People lose all the time. So to me, knowing that thinking and knowing that they just got burned, I think whatever the biggest fight, say George is coming back, I think knowing how these people operate and the system works, whatever the biggest fight is that can be made is the very first fight they make with George. What if he blows out his knee? What if he loses? what if Anderson loses? So I think they go George Anderson. I just, if if that fight can be made, it's either George Bisping or George Anderson, whatever the numbers analysis says is best. And here's why my take on on complaining, it's just pragmatic. It is not emotional. It's not, you know, because it, it suits my things. It's just, we can't accomplish anything with, and in fact, if we hate, I can't let's just say George versus Bisping for the title. we hate it. It's wrong, it's wrong on so many levels. All we've done is sell it for them that our, our negativity towards it gets it in the media today. I mean this guy said he wanted to build it the wall and get America to pay for it or uh, Mexico to pay for it. he wanted to ban Muslims. just kept going and it's the same thing if you freak out because of fights being made you're helping sell the fight if you freak out because you hate Conor McGregor you're helping sell Conor McGregor we are unwilling our outrage or anger or frustration are unwilling pawns in the game of making people buy fights so you're better to not one you're helping people that you don't want to help if you don't like that fight and two you're making yourself all riled up and that's not helping. But personally for me, if if you can make Silva and, and, uh, and George St. Pierre in Toronto a first fight, you make it. If you can't and you've got um, George and Bisping, you make it. If for some reason he's serious and really could make 155 and McGregor goes, what? George St. Pierre? Fuck like, yeah. You make it. Whatever the biggest one. And that's not what I would do. But that's what I observe they would do. But there's one other element, and that is this, you know, Ronda against who's, whoever that chick is who's the champion attitude that, the, that the new, some of the new ownership apparently Joe observed them to have. Uh, they came in, and they had a lot of influence on how the UFC was run. They thought, ah, oh, shit, we've run hip-hop shows before. We've done dog shows. We've had monster trucks. We know how to do – we know how to put on entertainment shows. Yeah, this one's different. I'm sorry, guys. This one's different, and they learned that very quickly. And now I'm under the impression this is not direct from Dana or Craig or any of those people. But I am under the impression from being down in Vegas and working down there a few weeks ago, and I'm going back next week to work, is that that, that Dana and his people are way more back in decision-making mode than they were a couple months ago because. You're like, yeah, no problem. Me and my team will run this. We got this, right, guys? And all of a sudden, you're losing main events. You're canceling shows. Things are not going as smooth. And you're like, wait a second. Our co-main event canceled? Dana, what? Are, oh, really? You guys are noticing that this is hard? Oh, oh, you want our help now? So I feel like Dana and his team are way more back in control now than they were a few months back.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, makes uh, it. It makes more sense, obviously. Uh, before we let you go, anything you want to plug, you want to promote before we say goodbye, sir?
2: Um, yeah. Uh, I'm doing a breakdown the rest of today and for the next few days on Habib versus Tony. So I hope people watch for that probably Friday. And then uh, for UFC 209, I'm going to be in Las Vegas, and I'm going to be doing a live broadcast of sorts uh, in, with the UFC. I can't say anything more than that right now, but uh, I will be doing something. It will not be on the Fox broadcast or the pay-per-view, but I'm going to be doing a little UFC uh, broadcast of my own during UFC 209. I'll tell people more about it, but watch for that.
1: Perfect, man. Thank you much. Make sure you follow him online at Robin Black MMA. Uh, obviously, one of the most fantastic guys in the industry. An unbelievable mixed martial arts analyst. Follow yours truly at Showdown Joe. Don't forget, at Fightful MMA uh, for your social media needs. FightfulMMA.com for your mixed martial arts news. We want to thank Robin Black. Hopefully, we get to have him again uh, on here soon. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, those who tuned in live, thank you very much. Those who tuned in afterwards on iTunes or on Stitcher, we thank you as well. Don't forget, hit us up on social media whenever you like. We are more than happy to discuss. Discuss anything and everything from the world of mixed martial arts ciao for now enjoy your mondays canadians enjoy your family day uh tomorrow yeah elias Theodoro likely at three o'clock who knows what he's gonna say we'll, we'll we'll break things down with his boat uh if there's anything wrong with his jaw and make sure his hair is all perfect but then uh, we'll discuss everything with a tomorrow, likely at 3 p.m eastern right here on the fightful mma podcast